Welcome to the Blockbusters and Birdwalks podcast. I am the curator, Garrett Chaffin Kirai. Crash debuted at the Toronto International Film Festival on September the 10th, 2004, and it was released May the 6th, 2005 on 1,800-plus screens in the United States. It earned $9 million that opening weekend behind the comedy Monster in Law, which earned more than $23 million, and it went on to earn nearly $100 million in global box office. This is over and against a $6.5 million budget, which means that Crash was a very profitable movie. As written by Paul Haggis and Bobby Moresco from a story by Paul Haggis, who also directed the movie, the thing that upsets some viewers and excites others is the way that a great many characters speak the truths of their particular stereotypic experience of thinking about others, capital O others, who exist outside of their sociocultural group. The journey begins with a very calm sort of orchestral piece of music, and then we go into an on-the-nose statement from one of the main characters played by Don Cheadle. He is a detective, Graham Waters, who offers this monologue while sitting in a car having just been rear-ended with his partner, Rhea, played by Jennifer Esposito. It's the sense of touch. What? (laughs) Any real city, you walk... You know, you brush past people, people bump into you. In L.A., nobody touches you. We're always behind this metal and glass. I think we miss that touch so much that we crash into each other just so we can feel something. You guys okay? I think he hit his head. You don't think that's true? Stay in your car. Graham, I think we got rear-ended. I think we spun around twice. And somewhere in there, one of us lost our frame of reference. And I'm gonna go look for it. This car crash delivers Detective Waters and his partner, Rhea, to an accident on the side of the road where a young man has been dropped, having been shot and killed. This young man has an uncanny relationship to Detective Waters. Spoiler, it is Detective Waters' younger brother, who's drifted into a life of crime. And what we watch with this bookend structure, because this discovery opens the movie, and we realize nearly two hours later it also closes the movie, as Graham brings his drug-addled, seemingly dementia-troubled mother to identify the younger brother's body, and collapse with her, wrapping around the story of all of these Los Angelinos who have lives in conflict. There is a gun store owner. There is a liquor store owner. There is a locksmith. There is a thief. There are several police officers, and on and on. And above all of these, there is District Attorney Rick Cabot, played by Brendan Fraser, who is married to America's sweetheart, Sandra Bullock, playing his wife, Jean. And Jean announces the way that this movie places people in their particular cues socioculturally, 
and speaks this statement about a character I want to really think about, a locksmith called Daniel Ruiz, played by Michael Pena. Here is Jean confronting her husband after the pair of them have been carjacked and what she thinks about how he's trying to protect her and their household. I would like the locks changed again in the morning. And you know what? You might mention that we'd appreciate it if next time they didn't send a gang member. A gang member? Yes, yes. Well, you mean that kid in there? Yes, the guy in there with the shaved head, the pants around his oh, ass, the prison tattoo. Those are not prison tattoos. Oh, really? And he's not going to go sell our key to one of his gangbanger friends the moment he is out our We've door. We've had a really tough night. I think it would be best if you just went upstairs right and now. And what? Wait for them to break in? I just had a gun pointed in my face. You lower your voice. And it was my fault because I knew it was going to happen. But if a white person sees two black men walking towards her and she turns and walks in the other direction, she's a racist, right? Well, I got scared and I didn't say anything. And 10 seconds later, I had a gun in my face. Now, I am telling you, your amigo in there is going to sell our key to one of his homies. And this time it'd be really fucking great if you acted like you actually gave a shit. And here I must confess, I've seen the movie crash at least a half dozen times. And every time I have watched it, there are certain moments I cue for that make me cry. Sometimes the tears roll down my face and I blubber. But the character Pena plays, Daniel, is magic to me. We first meet him in the Cabot's home, and then we go home with him as he is an on-call specialist. And when he arrives home, he discovers that his daughter has hidden under her bed, and they have a conversation. How's it going? Okay. Hmm? You didn't get scared or something, did you? There's no monsters in the closet, right? Because I hate monsters. There's no such thing as monsters. Oh, that's a good thing. I heard a bang. Like a truck bang? Like a gun. That's funny. Because we moved out of that bad neighborhood. And there's not too many guns around here. How far can bullets go? They go pretty far, but uh, they usually get stuck in something and stop. What if they don't? You thinking about that bullet that came through your window? You think we should move again? I like it here. Me too, but if that bullet found out where we lived... Oh, hold up. What? Oh, so stupid. How can I forget this? What? Nah, forget it. You ain't gonna believe me. Tell me. Okay. When I was five, this fairy came into my room one night. Right. See, I told you you weren't gonna believe me. Okay, go to sleep now, you little Don't rat. Don't tell me. Okay. So this fairy comes into my room, and I'm like, yeah, right, you're a fairy. Anyway, we're talking, you know. And she's flying all around the room, knocking down all my posters and stuff. She was flying? Yeah, but she had these little stubby wings. I mean, she could have glued them on, you know? Like, I'm gonna believe she's a fairy. So she said, I'll prove it. So she reaches into her backpack. And she pulls out this invisible cloak. She ties it around my neck. And she tells me that it's impenetrable. You know what impenetrable means? It means that nothing can go through it. No bullets, nothing. She told me that if I wore it, nothing would hurt me. So I did. And uh, my whole life, I never got shot, stabbed, nothing. I mean, how weird is that? 
And when she told me that I was supposed to give it to my daughter on her fifth birthday, and I forgot. Can I touch it? Sure, go ahead. I don't feel it. Yeah, it's pretty cool, huh? If you want, I can take it off and tie it around your shoulder. She told me how to do it. Unless you think it's stupid. Then... Don't you need it? No, not anymore. So what do you think, you want it? This idea of parental kindness is a kind of magic to me as the father of two daughters. And to watch this fictionalized character played so incredibly warmly by a then relatively new performer who's gone on to interesting work is exciting to me because he wants to give his daughter that which will help her get through her troublesome day. From that point, we realize that Daniel has been called to the next job, a liquor store in a bad neighborhood where the owner's troubled by a rear door to the building that won't lock properly. Excuse me, sir. You finish? I replaced the lock, but you got a real problem with that door. You fixed the lock? No, I replaced the lock, but you got to fix that door. Just fix the lock. Sir, 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 listen to me. What you need is a new door. I need new door? Yeah. Okay. How much? I don't... Sir, you're gonna have to call somebody that sells doors. You tried to cheat me, right? Huh? You have a friend that fixed door? Nah, I don't have a friend that fixed doors, bro. Then go and fix the fucking lock, you cheater. You know what? Why don't you just pay for lock and I won't charge you for the time? You don't fix the lock, I pay? But you think I'm stupid? You fix the fucking lock, you cheater! Hey, I'd appreciate if you stop calling me names. Then fix the fucking lock! I replaced the lock! You gotta fix the fucking door! You cheat! You fucking cheater! Fine. Don't pay. What? Have a good night. What? No! Wait! Wait! You come back here! You fix the lock! Eventually, the liquor store is robbed through the back door, which is broken into because, as Daniel explained to Farhad, it is a shoddy door with a good lock, but can be taken off the hinge, which is how thieves enter the building. So, he takes a gun that his daughter has helped him purchase. He figures out where Daniel lives because of the receipt Daniel left behind due to their altercation. Notice all of these conveniences of how the narrative unravels. And then he goes to Daniel's house, confronts him in the driveway, and we have one of the big scenes of the movie. Daddy's home!
so? Give me my money. What? What money? Pay for my store. Give me my money. Honey, stay inside. Elizabeth! Give me my money. Aplacate, stara. I want my fucking money. Give me the truck. That's, that's not my truck, bro. Daddy. Elizabeth! Hey, you okay? You know what? Hey, I got $50. Here, here. Hey, $50? You took everything. Look. Placing herself in harm's way in front of a drawn weapon is an exquisitely wonderful thing. We later realize the reason why this happens in the way that it does is that Farhad's daughter, Dori, works in the morgue. And having seen that kind of violence, and because she is more well-spoken in English, she purchased for her father a firearm, which she does not approve of, but gave him blanks. So he was, in fact, not shooting a live round at this child, indeed at Daniel. He doesn't know that. We don't know it as we live through this experience. And the conveniences of all of that are tidy, irritating to some, because it's overtly manipulative. Now, pause in that consideration and realize that Pena has moved on to other interesting works. Maybe you know him best from his role in Ant-Man, where he's a motor-mouthed convict who's trying to run the straight and narrow, but he has a skill both at doing thievery, but also talking the ear off of whoever will listen. Here's the deal. Mm -hmm. Just give me the facts. Just the facts. Only the facts. Breathe. Focus. Keep it simple. No, 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 no doubt, no doubt. Okay, so I'm at this art museum with my cousin Ignacio, right? And there was this like abstract expressionism exhibit. But you know me, I'm more like a neo cubist kind of guy, right? But there was this one Rothko that was sublime, bro. Oh my God. Luis. Okay, sorry, sorry. I, I just, you know, uh, I just get excited and stuff. But anyway, anyway, when Ignacio tells me, yo, I met this crazy fine writer chick at the spot last night. Like, fine, fine, like crazy, stupid, fine. And he goes up to the bartender and goes, look at the girl I'm with. You know what I'm saying? She's crazy, stupid, fine, right? And the bartenders are all like, yeah, crazy, stupid, fine. So this writer chick tells Ignacio, yo, I'm like a boss in the world of guerrilla journalism. And I got mad connects with the peeps behind the curtains, you know what I'm saying? Ignacio's like, for real? And she's like, yeah. You know what? I can't tell you who my contact is because he works with the Avengers. Oh, no. 
Yeah, and this dude sounds like a badass, man. Like, he comes up to him and says, yo, I'm looking for this dude who's new on the scene, who's, like, flashing this fresh tack, who's got, like, bomb moves, right? Who you got? She's like, well, we got everything nowadays. We got a guy who jumps. We got a guy who swings. We got a guy who crawls up the walls. You got to be more specific. And he's like, I'm looking for a guy that shrinks. And I'm like, damn, I got all nervous because I keep mad secrets for you, bro. So I asked Ignacio, is it the badass to the stupefied writer chick to tell you, to tell me, because I'm tight with that man, that he's looking for him? And? What'd he say? He said yes. Some people will leave this movie thinking that Tandy Newton is the greatest actress ever, and they're not wrong. Others will point out that Matt Dillon is a vigorously complicated cop who is also racist but also a hero, and they're right. Others will reflect on Terrence Howard, or they will reflect on Ryan Phillippe, or they'll notice that around the edges we have Loretta Devine and Beverly Todd and William Fickner and Keith David and even Daniel Day Kim filling out the background cast, and of course Tony Danza stands over in the background as well. And, of course, Ludacris Bridges, Chris Bridges, delivers some of the more meaty monologues in this piece. And all of that together means there is an entree point into the story world through some character who you are likely to find yourself identifying with. Crash is not for everybody. And in a year when it was nominated against the likes of Brokeback Mountain and Munich for a top awards at the Academy Awards ceremony, it goes to show that sometimes sentimentality will override more complicated considerations, be those historical reconstructions like Munich, an unconventional love story like Brokeback Mountain, which is simply to say, sometimes well-crafted sentimentality works. But something happens, don't see it coming now. You can't stop yourself. Now you're out there swimming in the Thank you for listening to the Blockbusters and Birdwalks podcast. My name is Garrett Chaffin Kirai. Boop boobity doo.